0: everyone. Welcome to Fits on Fantasy. I'm Pat Fitzmorris. Find me on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. We are about to have real actual NFL games and joining me now is my good friend Michael Salpino of The Athletic. He co-hosts the excellent Breakfast Table podcast along with the uh, along with our mutual friend Scott Pianowski. Uh, Mike also writes the stuff on the backs of Tops Baseball Cards, which is the kind of gig you dream about when you're a little kid. And he writes for or has written for a bunch of other outlets, 538, Paste, Mojo. Find him on Twitter at Michael Salfino. And his fantasy football rankings are now available at sharpener.me. Mike, welcome back. Did I forget anything with those credits? Any movies? No, 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 you did a great job,
1: Pat. I'm nice. Sorry, you know, this is the this is the world we live in now, where you know everybody has to uh, have multiple gigs. But uh, great job, I appreciate it, and thanks everybody for the support over these many years.
0: Yeah, man. Uh, So you and I had a great conversation on the phone the other day. I I probably should have just recorded that and made that the show. (laughs) Uh, I didn't do that, but I I do want to circle back to some of the things that we discussed. You and I would both prefer to draft Jamar Chase instead of Justin Jefferson. And you actually have Chase as your top-ranked receiver. I have him number two behind Cooper Cup. But Chase over Jefferson is a minority opinion. So why do you prefer Chase?
1: Well, I think, you know, a lot of what we do is trying to anticipate tomorrow's headlines and I can see tomorrow's headlines being Chase leads the NFL in touchdown catches. I can't really see that headline for Justin Jefferson. He's just not that kind of player. Plus um Chase is just better than Jefferson. I mean, as good as Jefferson is, that's how, you know, almost otherworldly Chase is as a just an ethereal talent. So, um, he's kind of like a Randy Moss in his explosiveness. I think he owns those big plays. I also think he's a factor in close in the red zone. And I think he's in a prolific offense. So, you know, I just, I just think he's, he's, um, uh, got the best breakout potential this year. He, you know, I, I don't think we've seen the best year out of Jamar Chase, uh, when you consider his rookie season.
0: Yeah, it's hard for us to make the case over uh, for Chase over Jefferson without sounding like we're dissing Jefferson, but like that's really not the case. I think we both like him, but there's no disputing that when they were both at LSU, Chase was regarded as the all-world guy, and it was sort yeah. of uh, Jefferson you know, like putting up some pretty eye-popping numbers of his own and people saying, wow, this guy's really good also. Um, so Yeah, I, yeah I-, I phrased
1: it like he was Robin and Chase was
0: Batman very well put. Yes, for sure. And uh, I did find it interesting. I I think I've mentioned this before, but in Peter King's column a couple weeks ago, he led with an item on Chase uh, talking to him after Chase was like working out on his own on like a side field. And he asked Chase to compare himself to some other receivers. And the first guy Peter King mentioned was Justin Jefferson. And Chase just said, point blank, I'm better than Justin. Yeah. And, uh, and and then Peter King mentioned Devonte Adams and like Chase would not say he was better than Devonte Adams. So, um, yeah, I mean, straight from the horse's mouth, obviously, uh, these guys have egos. But like, I, I do think that people are kind of forgetting the perception of Chase and Jefferson uh, at LSU a couple of years ago. And, you know, I certainly don't think Chase's rookie year was a fluke.
1: And, and the thing about Jefferson, too, to just put his touchdowns into sharp relief, uh, since he's been in the NFL, Adam Thielen averages 12 touchdowns every 70 catches, and uh, Jefferson averages six.
0: Wow. And, um, it, like, I should make the point here, Mike, that, like, tell me if you agree. I think rookie receivers are sort of um, at least the ones drafted early. Are just sort of blanket values, uh, really up and down drafts. Like last year, Jamar Chase was the wide receiver thirty-one going into drafts. Like that was his final ADP. Jaylen A lot of Waddell, that was
1: the was the yips with catching the ball, but yeah,
0: sure. Uh, well, Jalen Waddle wide receiver forty-two? Amon Ross right. St. Brown wide receiver sixty-four. The year before, Justin Jefferson wide receiver forty-nine, and C.D. Lamb was wide receiver thirty-nine. So um, do you agree with that? I mean, are you trying to take a shot on like at least one of, I don't know, Drake London, Traylon Burks, Jahan Dotson, Garrett Wilson, guys like that in this year's draft? Not typically. I'm
1: focusing more on the second year wide receivers, I guess. Like Nico Collins, I guess, would be the guy that's in my... um, you know, to the extent that I target players, which isn't really very much. I'm more like a, an area drafter rather than a bullseye drafter. Um, so I would say it's it's more those guys. But I get that the rookie wide receivers can return significant value. I think you have to kind of look at their setups. Uh, none of them really jump out at me, although we could have – Perhaps said the same thing even um, about Jefferson. I don't think we would have said it about Chase. Chase was more, you know, camp noise. Um, we also don't have a lot of preseason data to go by because we're not seeing a lot of snaps with starters anymore. So uh, it's, it's kind of dangerous out there to, to basically use any kind of ranking or modeling system that doesn't focus primarily on real-life draft order.
0: I agree with that, which is why I kind of have an issue with, like, Romeo Dobbs going where he is.
1: Yeah, like yeah. People
0: are people are taking Dobbs over Traylon Burks, which I think is just lunacy. Well, they're taking him over probably Garrett Wilson, too. Yeah, it doesn't really make any sense. Um, tell me about Nico, since you mentioned him. We're, we're dropping a few tiers from uh, the just, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase tier to Nico. But, um, like, I've, I've heard some other people make cases for him. And I know there's some, uh, sharp people who aren't into him at all. So what is your, um, what's your case for Nico Collins as a, a, an intriguing late rounder?
1: Well, I kind of like Webb. I remember I was in a dynasty league and I drafted Webb when he was coming out of high school. He was a five-star recruit as a drop back passer. And he had an injury, uh, riddled career at Stanford, but I think he might be, um, uh, significantly better than his draft order would, it, would oh, indicate. Oh, Mills. Mills. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, win. Mills. <laughs> Mills. I'm All right. sorry.
0: Yeah, no worries.
1: Um, yeah, because there there is a Davis Webb, right? So yes, uh, yes, yeah. So I flaked. Sorry about that. The Davis Webb. So, yeah, so, so, Mills, so Mills. was a guy that I thought, you know, had some had a chance because of his pedigree, at least, um, you know, prior to uh, the injuries at Stanford, and I think it's a really narrow passing tree. And I think um, Collins supposedly had a really good off season. He spent a lot of time with uh, Mills, so I think uh, there there's a chance there for some uh, chemistry. Mills is all in on Collins having a breakout season. Um, you know, I mean, we don't expect a guy to say that a guy's not going to have a breakout season, but it's still something I'd rather like have that box checked uh, with a with a second year player. And um, I also just think. You know, he has uh, downfield ability and, and really good size. So I think he's he's uh, in line for probably, you know, I would say 135 targets.
0: Well, that would be, if he gets 135 targets, he's going to be a pleasant surprise in, in fantasy. But you can make a case for that. I, I understand. Yeah, because, like, you
1: got to give, uh, you know, there's going to be 600 passes, right? So, you know, when you work backwards... I mean, you, you know, uh, Brandon Cooks isn't going to get,
0: you know, 400 targets. Right. Right. Yeah. And there's not much else there. Brevin Jordan. I mean, they just signed Tyler Johnson, who I kind of like. And I, I, you know, when they were both playing in the Big Ten, I, I would have thought Tyler Johnson was a better prospect than Nico Collins. But uh, I could be wrong about that. And, and draft capital did not agree with me. So, uh, Mike, let's let's argue about Trey Lance. So you, I know, think that the re-signing of Jimmy Garoppolo makes Lance a uh, skull and crossbones, do not touch guy for fantasy this year. I guess my position. I is think it's that- just.
1: I think it's. I think it's
0: um, unquestionably bad
1: for for Lance.
0: So I mean, like, I guess my position is that if the 49ers thought Jimmy G was good enough, they would not have traded two future first round picks and a future third round pick, which is a hell of a lot of draft capital to trade for his eventual replacement. And and Lance is the replacement. And since the 49ers have already made that choice, I, I feel like he's going to be given more leeway than people might think.
1: Okay. But that was the more recent thing that the Niners did was to keep Garoppolo. So if they were so sold on Lance, why, why don't they just, you know, is it worth the controversy And, I mean, Garoppolo is probably the most accomplished backup quarterback who's, you know, age 30 or less in NFL history. Why does Lance have to deal with that? How is that something good for a quarterback and a prospect who's barely played the last three years?
0: I wouldn't say it's good, but their only other option really was to just flat out release Garoppolo and then... But
1: but that's arguably, less would be more then, if they really believed in in Lance, like why... In other words, they're keeping Garoppolo for a football reason because they're not a hundred percent sold on Lance.
0: Well, maybe, or they're just you know they want a, a competent backup so their season isn't flushed down the toilet if anything happened to Lance. You might be right, and it's, it's but like awesome. what if
1: Lance is flushing their season down the toilet?
0: Yeah, I mean maybe maybe they would make that move. In other
1: words, he could be good in fantasy, but flush it, but. But also be flushing his se- the the forty nine er season down the toilet, correct?
0: I guess so. But the funny thing is, so people are worried about Lance maybe for the same reasons that uh, they diss Jimmy G, like the, the careless interceptions, um, you know, the the multiple picks in in practices. Like, I don't know, man. I I think we also well tell me about your. I know you maybe dispute that Trey Lance has the rushing upside that I think he does. Yeah,
1: I think he's more of a runner in the Josh Allen vein than in the uh, Lamar Jackson vein. I think Justin Fields, for example, is significantly uh, more athletic and more twitchy uh, and a much better, uh, runner as far as big play potential than Lance. Lance is, I think Jalen Hurts is a, a much better runner than Lance and, and I'm not a film guy, so I'm not going to, you know, lean back on the things that I've seen, even though that I watch all the games, I'm more like, um, you know, respect the stats, but I would be surprised if Lance has a hundred yard rushing game this year. I just don't think he's that kind of a runner. Um, but, but we'll see, um, if, 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 uh, And the thing that I cite objectively is he timed kind of like at a Josh Allen, you know, four, six, five or something in the 40 where you have Justin Fields running uh, four, four, five. You have Lamar Jackson running, you know, four, three. Kyler Murray probably runs a four in the four threes. So is he that kind of a
0: a runner? So... I understand your your case about that, but you make a great point by bringing up Josh Allen. And that is, I think, the comp uh, that applies with with Lance as a runner. So Allen is actually a little slower. I think Lance's had a 4.69. Not sure whether that was a a true clocking or an adjusted clocking. 4.69, Josh Allen 4.75. Josh Allen six five two thirty seven, Trey Lance six four, two twenty-six. So I think he's the same type of runner, but I think what makes Allen such a great asset as a runner is his willingness to run, much more so than his ability to outrun people, and his ability sure. to, to not go down on first contact, which I think Lance might have too. So we saw Lance run twenty four uh, times. Is that something his- we want though? Uh,
1: okay. Oh you so what you're saying is you want a guy who's kind of fighting through tackles. To me that says screams injury risk.
0: Well and not fight- reject- Not fighting through tackles, but a guy who can potentially break a tackle who automatically isn't going down as soon as someone, you know, a single tackler arrives on the scene. Right, seat. but
1: when you when you when you break a tackle, you could get broken. Like I'd rather my quarterback err on the side of caution like a Kyler Murray. I get it. I get it.
0: So yeah, I mean, we're we're probably not being uh, not going to be able to bridge this gap. You know, you'd rather have uh, a Kirk Cousins. I'd rather. Have,
1: I'll tell you. Here's a bold prediction: Fields outscores Lance.
0: It could happen, especially if Fields runs aggressively, which it seems like he's going to do and maybe have to do behind that offensive line.
1: And he's never going to get benched in the in the third quarter, where that's in play for Lance every single
0: week now. You want to talk about a guy at risk of getting injured, though, Mike. I mean, behind that offensive line. At least Lance has good blocking in front of him. Does he, though? I mean,
1: it's not as good as it used to be.
0: It's not as good as it used to be, but I I think the Bears have the worst offensive line in the league, just objectively. Yeah, that could could be true. Yeah. All right, so uh, what, what have you been trying to do at quarterback this year in drafts?
1: You know, I I never really try to win a league with quarterbacks. When when we do the Scott Fishbowl with the Superflex, like you have to really be super aggressive there. I know I was more aggressive than you because I got kind of caught last year where, you know, I was always scrambling with the Teddy Bridgewater types uh, at quarterback and I just didn't want to play that way this year. So I was, uh, I aggressively drafted them in that format in the first two rounds. I think I got like Burrow and Her Cousins um, because, you know, the quarterbacks go super early in that format. Um, And that's also a weird format because rushing doesn't matter as much and interceptions matter a ton. Uh, It's just, you know, it's not conventional at all. Um, But in regular leagues, I'm trying to find a stack. So I'll push it a little bit. You know, I, I mean, late round quarterback is so obvious that it's barely worth even noting especially in a year like this year where there's so many quarterbacks in the quarterback 12 bucket like there's like 16 17 guys maybe um but so what i'm really trying to do is to stack so like in a um semi-high stakes league that i just drafted last week i took chase with the fifth overall pick and then i really forced burrow in a six-point passing touchdown league uh with in the fifth round because i really wanted to come away with chase and burrow as a stack
0: man i don't think you have to force it with burrow too much he's kind of been my answer at quarterback and yeah uh, he's a,
1: he was my uh, we uh, scott and, and i in, in our breakfast table podcast which is available via patreon you could uh it's it's uh breakfast underscore pod on twitter um we did our our uh, bold predictions and I I picked Burrow for for MVP. Scott didn't really even give me much
0: pushback. Yeah, so he – I think we both generally like uh, yards per attempt as a stat. and think it's a a good back-of-the-envelope measure of a quarterback's ability. And uh, maybe that's where I should be giving you a hat tip on Jimmy G, since Jimmy G's career YPA is, like, I think better than – Third all time. Yeah. A minimum
1: 1,000 pass
0: attempts. (laughs) So Burroughs was 8.9 last year, which is just an extraordinary number, better than Tom Brady has ever had in a single season, better than uh, Aaron Rodgers, all but one Aaron Rodgers season did he top 8.9. And he also had a pretty high touchdown rate, but like... What was his touchdown rate?
1: Because with with 8.9, it really should be um, pushing 9%.
0: I think it was, well, maybe, so maybe it wasn't that high. I think yeah, it was only like 6.5, 6. so. Yeah, that's low. Yeah, and.
1: He actually earned a higher touchdown rate than, and, and, and we know this because of the shape of the Bengals' offense early in the year, we were frustrated by their lack of passing.
0: That's true, and that's the thing, Mike, like the volume, he threw 520 passes, which was one fewer than Mac Jones last year. Right. Like, and and Mac Jones had a game where he threw three in a single game like that's he had 80, 80 some fewer passes than Ben Roethlisberger last year, um, so if we get a spike in passing volume for Burrow, like yeah, even if that eight point nine YPA regresses, and it's can, also hard.
1: I should note that when you're hyper efficient, it's hard to have uh, um, above average volume because your efficiency cuts into your volume
0: yeah very true and
1: but but still that's too low like you should at least be league average with uh because you should be throwing more proactively even if you're getting less plays like you might have touchdown drives in like five plays versus like 14 you know what i mean
0: yes so, and uh, I just think Burrow is such a good way to leverage Chase Higgins too, no matter how you project that split. I've seen some people say that they wouldn't be surprised if Higgins outscored Chase this year. I don't agree with that. I know you've got a big split between Chase and Higgins and aren't really into Higgins, but no matter how you see that, tapping into Burrow allows you to leverage both of those guys and Tyler Boyd, who, you know, isn't a bad slot receiver. So yeah, I'm very much into Burrow. What's, what's your uh, tight end plan? this year
1: and i also i should know like say you get jefferson you could get kirk cousins any any place you want and and scott and i also both agreed it's amazing like the agreement that scott and i have this year because we come at things from totally different uh roads um but uh cousins to me could easily throw for uh you know 40 plus touchdowns and you know forty four hundred four thousand seven hundred fifty 4750 plus yards like some some really uh, big numbers. And when we were trying to figure out who the MVP was, if we just limited it to the NFC, it was really hard to come up with somebody. And there's no way Cousins is going to be the MVP because he's just like so reviled, um, but uh, irrationally. But what I'm saying is he could be uh, like a really good quarterback who you could get super cheap. And if you have Jefferson, Jefferson and Cousins is a really good stack and a cheap one from the quarterback perspective. But anyway, well,
0: there's, there's no way he's going to be the MVP because he'll fold in big games as he has throughout his career. I mean, it's it's like too many big games for it to be a fluke at this point, I think.
1: I don't know. I mean, he he beat the Saints as a major underdog in New Orleans.
0: Well, cuz their safety made like a, a bizarre play to try to like put his head down and and hit the guy and not and go after Diggs and not play the ball. Like it was No, really... no, no, that was Case Keenum he oh, beat the yeah. saints the next year oh yeah yeah yeah. you're right you're right you're right i got that mixed up he did win that game all right so you know one big game in his career but um i mean every time he's in prime time he's terrible all right so we should make this we've had the, the kirk cousins debate before and uh you know i've badmouthed him on this show before so people especially vikings fans do not want to hear this again what about tight end mike What are you doing there this year? Are you paying up or are you just kind of? I I always want to pay up at tight end. I think
1: tight end, you know, and here's the thing. I'm probably um, the person in the industry who talks about uh, Flex 9 versus Flex 10 more than anybody. We're still living in a world where people just say standard and PPR, where pretty much everybody is paying, playing some form of PPR. But flex nine and flex 10, that's the big difference in our game. So what that means is flex nine is two flexes. I'm sorry, two wide receivers in a flex. Flex 10 is three wide receivers in a flex, right? And uh, you and I both play in formats where there's even more uh, wide receivers potentially that you could play. So in a flex nine, you really have to move up the, the running backs over the wide receivers. You're playing a more fundamental game. You're stuck in like fantasy football, 1993. However, a big advantage is the tight end position, because if you can leverage that tight end position into being a real player, you're playing with an extra guy, basically over like half the teams in your league, you're almost guaranteed to make the playoffs. Um, Flex 10, you still get a significant advantage. So I am uh, for sure a premium player. Uh, uh, like let's call it an elite tight end because there's also uh, premium tight end scoring. So I'll call it an elite tight end where in the last three years, I write this piece for the athletic every year. The tight end one equals the wide receiver five.
0: Yes, for point output, basically. And if you yes. can put right and if you can put that guy in a tight end spot where a lot of people are just scrounging for four or five points a week, the advantage is huge. Yeah. And they're like happy about it
1: when they find somebody who's like a ham and there or there that they could just like stick in their lineup. They feel like they've beat the system because they didn't pay for it. But it's like you have one less player, dude. <laughs> right, <You> know, <laughs> Right. It's hard right. to win.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you're still getting pounded every week at the position. So, which is a. So, I'm
1: looking at the tight ends basically who, if you didn't have uh, in in my home league for years, we've gone off of this. For years, we had uh, premium tight end scoring where there was a bonus for tight end scoring, but you didn't have to play a tight end, right? Um, And there's uh, also theoretically leagues where you don't have to play a tight end. You could just play receivers, right? So, but even if you're just imagining in a league like that, it's the guys that would rank in the top twenty-five if if there was no tight end requirement with the wide receivers. Those are the guys, or at least be in that bucket. Those are the guys that you want. And
0: there's only like four or five of them, maybe six. Man, are there that many? Like I the trust well, I, I, really runs thin for me after Kelsey Andrews and
1: Pitts. Kelsey Andrews Pitts, um, uh i think you have to put kittle in there and um you know we can't forget the tight end who had the best yards per target season for any tight end in nfl history just in 2021 you know who that is is it waller nope
0: oh oh it's goddard. dallas goddard that's right who you uh encouraged me to take in the Scott Fishball?
1: oh you did take him good I for you man
0: goddard. yeah yeah, no you made a you made a compelling case for him. He is the the rare big play tight end,
1: right? And like, why can't he get more targets? It's going to be so much easier. He'll never be double covered in his life with with the setup there that's there now. And those are going to be the easiest passes for Hertz to complete. So why not? You know, just it's like uh, taking candy. You know, to just take those those Goddard plays. I think that they're going to lean into that a little bit. I certainly would. Um, and then you also mentioned Waller. Waller to me, uh, I think we were off of Waller as an industry a little bit because he missed so much a camp, and we assumed it was due to an injury, but it was just a contract dispute, which is going to be resolved. He'll end up being probably before opening day the highest paid tight end in in football, uh, and I see you know a uh, hundred and forty to a uh, hundred and sixty targets for him, and I think he's going to. Be pretty close to 100 catches.
0: Folks, football season is here, but it's still summer. It's still grilling season, and no backyard grill out is complete without Omaha Steaks. What could be better than firing up the grill during a college football Saturday or an NFL Sunday and enjoying a first rate feast while you're watching the games? I usually record Fits on Fantasy on Mondays, but this week's show is being recorded on a Saturday, and I kid you not, as soon as I've wrapped up my conversation with Michael Salfino, I'm heading out to the back patio to fire up the grill and cook some Omaha Steaks burgers for the family. These burgers are so juicy and delicious. I almost wanna eat them without cheese, but I'm from Wisconsin, so you know that's not happening. Visit omahasteaks.com, enter the keyword Pat Fitz into the search bar and order the All-American assortment today. This package has mouthwatering items ranging from the butcher's cut filet mignons to the caramel apple tartlets, and for a limited time, And as a special gift for my listeners, when you type Pat Fitz into the search bar, you'll get 12 of those ultra juicy Omaha Steaks burgers free with your order. And if the All-American Assortment doesn't have what you want, they also have an option on my page to build your own perfect menu. Simply pick your favorite items out of the options provided and create your own grilling adventure. The best part is the build your own menu option also comes with 12 free Omaha Steaks burgers. So visit OmahaSteaks.com. Type the keyword Pat Fitz into the search bar and fill your freezer with enough gourmet food to keep your cookouts going strong all summer long. That's omahasteaks.com, keyword Pat Fitz. Oh, man. See, I, I cannot give him that sort of target share with Devontae Adams there. Like, we know Devontae Adams is going to get big targets. But it's still a
1: narrow team. passing tray. It is. But There's no it- backs. There's there, there's there It's
0: basically just those three guys. Yeah, I don't know. And man. why are you throwing to Hunter Renfro over uh, over Waller? Well, not over Waller, but they are going to throw to Renfro. And like Amir Abdullah, the, the passing down back. Amir Abdullah, come on.
1: Come on. Yeah, but look at,
0: who, look at who the play caller is. Like he made something out of James White who people would have poo-pooed. Yeah, for. I
1: see a play caller who emphasizes the tight end more than probably any play caller in NFL history.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, he made it uh you know, he made both Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez viable for a few years. So that's fair. Um let me take your temperature on the Jets, Mike, since you are a Jets fan. What do you envision uh the outcome being for this backfield with Brees Hall maybe a little slower to overtake Michael Carter than we were hoping, at least than the Brees Hall enthusiasts.
1: Were. I don't I don't know. Is that
0: even is that
1: even true though? Like, I mean, maybe, Javante maybe Williams not. was slow to take over for Melvin Gordon. Like, I don't know. I just think that Hall is a screaming value now if you can get him in the fifth round. The fact that Damian Pierce goes over Hall is just ridiculous. Um, it's a violation of every kind of like objective modeling that you could do at the position. But I think it's going to end up being, um, in short order, uh, a 60-40, 65-35 split in favor of Hall. I mean, the model is when you trade up for a running back in the top 40, he's going to end up being the bell cow, you know, at at the latest halfway through the season.
0: I agree. And I I still like the offensive line even without beckton I still think it's a pretty good O-line.
1: Yeah, no, I think that uh, it's fair to say that the Jets have an above-average offensive line.
0: What about the wide receivers? Like, it seems like everyone's in on Elijah Moore, uh, including me. Are you there yeah, too? Me too? And um, what about Corey Davis and uh, who was kind of Zach Wilson's guy early last year? And uh, like, is Garrett Wilson does he have a chance to return value in fantasy if they're talking about potentially not using him in two wide receiver sets? And maybe he's not even the slot guy with Braxton Berrios there. And we said the same thing about Jefferson. Now, like,
1: no, he's going to be Garrett Wilson's better than Braxton Berrios. Come on.
0: Oh, he is, but I mean, they re-signed Braxton Berrios for like yeah, he's, a lot he's of fun. money. Berrios is fine, but
1: but he's you know Wilson is a, an elite talent. He was the tenth overall pick. Again, you got to just like step away from trying to read the tea leaves and and. Uh, training camp, which is increasingly meaningless and just fall back on draft order, you know, and and it's not like he was a controversial pick. Uh, Most people thought he was the best wide receiver in the draft.
0: Yeah. My only issue is that if we all like Elijah Moore and think Corey Davis might be a sneaky value and, you know, like Garrett Wilson based on his prospect pedigree, like then we have to like Zach Wilson, don't we? Yeah, and I mean,
1: you know, I mean,
0: so you do. You're still, you're still in on him.
1: Like, I haven't really had the opportunity to be be in on him since the knee injury, and that's obviously a bad thing. But generally, he had a good camp. He had a really bad, uh, he threw a really bad pass in a preseason game. I, I don't think that that negates um, what is generally regarded, um, especially by the coaches, as a very good training camp for Wilson we'll have to see like I have no you know Wilson right now is just like uh numbers right now it's like he doesn't even really exist he just has like the probabilities like Schrodinger's cat he's got uh you know he's got the probability of being good or being bad just like the cat has the probability of being dead or alive like we don't know we're not going to know so to speculate on it uh, I, I, you know, a lot of people cite his stats from last year, like there's many examples of quarterbacks who were terrible in their first year and then were good. So I, I don't I don't really know what to make out of Wilson now, except that Wilson has traits. And um, I think what we learned from Josh Allen and when Josh Allen was drafted, I said the same thing. So I am being consistent that, you know, uh, uh you bet on traits and you try to coach him up and if the player fails that's largely on the coaching staff too
0: Zach Wilson Schrodinger's quarterback
1: yeah uh, I would say that that's I would say that's fair like uh, you know Scott's always trying to bait me into like taking a strong stance on Wilson it's like I don't really have a strong stance but but I think the strong stance is not having a strong stance for the sake of all my Elijah Moore shares Mike I really hope that cat is alive well, Moore. Remember, was the he was the wide receiver two in in his in his last five oh, yeah. games. I think week
0: week nine to week thirteen. Wide yeah. receiver two.
1: Um, so in PPR, so you know, I I think Moore is a good pick where he's going, and and I and I like Corey Davis who you mentioned uh, at ADP because he's just basically free and I think he's got probably a thirty percent chance to lead the team in targets, maybe thirty three percent chance, maybe. Actually, he probably has like a 40% chance. He might be the favorite to lead the team. Well, maybe maybe more, but he's pretty close to more. He's definitely ahead of Wilson. If you were to um, have odds on who which wide receiver is going to lead the Jets and targets. And when you're getting a guy like that in the 15th round who's still in the prime age physically, uh, I, I think you pretty much have to take that every time as a pocket pick.
0: Yeah, wherever we would assess those odds of him leading in targets and I might not go up to 30%, but I totally agree it's it's silly some of the quarter or the uh some of the wide receivers who are getting drafted ahead of Yeah, the like there's area.
1: guys being drafted ahead of Davis who have a 0% chance to lead their team in targets.
0: Yeah, like it, he is going like wide receiver 7980. He's
1: in like in the last week he's pick overall pick
0: 198. Jeez, That's crazy. Um, We always talk music when you're on the show and you came up with a list of 52 essential rock albums and wrote these great little thumbnail capsules for each. Uh, Was this published somewhere? Because if not, you know you what? I'm going to gonna, I'm going to pin that to my I was just going to have... say, man, you've got some tweet about Italian ice pin there right now. I know. Friend. I know. What good I is know. that well, tweet going to do? Anyone who doesn't? Because it I, I, I said that beat. ice
1: cream cake is terrible. And so then I followed up with a I got so much negative feedback over that, that I followed up with uh, Italian ices are better than ice cream um, just to annoy people. But uh, I think I should I, I will actually put that in my in my uh, pin tweet when we're, when we're done with this podcast. So if you want to go and see my top 52 albums, you can, um, uh, just go to my Twitter page and it'll be right on top.
0: Now, sticky fingers by the Rolling Stones is high on your list. Of course. Uh,
1: if if I had to do it all over again, it might be number one. I think I had it number five. I think it's the
0: greatest rock album of all time.
1: Yeah. I mean, I can't, you know, once you get into that Pantheon, it's really hard to like split hairs, but you know, I, I, Highway 61 Revisited is is certainly, you know, should take a backseat to nothing.
0: Yeah. I mean, you like Dylan more than I. Dylan just doesn't speak to me like uh, the Stones do. That's because you're I not listening. It <laughs> could be. You got to um, hear
1: it, Pat. It's like white, white men can't ju- jump. You don't hear Jimmy.
0: Yeah, Like when Sticky Fingers, I, I think Brown Sugar might actually be the worst song on that album. And and it's an iconic Rolling Stone song. And yet I think it's maybe like my least favorite song on that album that like that's how good the album is. I don't even hate Brown Sugar as a song. I I think it's fine, but
1: yeah, a lot of times like we get into things where we've heard the song so much that we're sick of it. But if you got to almost kind of always reimagine hearing it for the first time and and that riff just like, you know, is uh, groundbreaking.
0: Now, it's interesting that Wish You Were Here is your only Pink Floyd album on the list. Like, I know a lot of people would argue that if you're only going to pick one Pink Floyd album, it should be The Wall. Um, but I, I, don't think, I think they would argue Dark Side of the Moon, actually. I, you don't, think think, Dark, yeah, I, I mean, don't think that
1: there's a lot of... I actually like The Wall more than you do.
0: Yeah, to me, it's like the fourth best Pink Floyd thing. But I, I agree. Like, why not, why not Dark Side over Wish You Were Here?
1: I, I just think that it's... Um,
0: Personal taste, that's fine.
1: I, I Some of it's personal taste, but I, I think it's more... Um, the Sid Barrett tribute? Yeah, I kind of like that thematically. Uh, the fact that it is sort of... Um, I, I don't know if, if it's fair to call it a tribute. Maybe it's like a dirge about Sid Barrett almost. But, but um, I, I just think you know it it checks off all the boxes for me where where I, I could see from a pop standpoint that uh, uh, dark side of the moon is is um, resonates more with the public generally. I mean obviously it was like the highest uh, spent the most weeks in history on the uh, billboard charts I believe it still has the record. Um, but I just think that, I, and I don't know the answer to this, but I think if you ask the band what their best album is, I, I'm, I'm, I'd be surprised if they didn't say it was "Wish You Were Here."
0: Interesting, yeah, maybe, maybe Roger Waters one because he was, uh, you know, the, the Wall was his magnum opus, but I think the other guys might answer. I think
1: Roger like Waters would, as a band, they were they were functioning more as a band. I think with "Wish You Were Here" still, True. than Good point. With
0: the Wall, tell me about some of the personal indulgences on your list, Matthew. Sweets. Graham Parker. Uh, well, anything. I think when you do a
1: list like this, you just want to, you want to plant a couple of flags, like albums that maybe um, where you're just trying to make a statement to people who haven't heard these albums. And uh, you could, I think the argument against Matthew Sweet's girlfriend would be that it's derivative, but it's derivative of all the things that I really love. And, uh, um, and I just think it's kind of like a, a pop masterpiece that for some reason never really, um, found the audience that, I, that it deserves. And I think you could similarly say the same thing about Squeezing Out Sparks, which uh, which I think is just, um, you know, Graham Parker was on such a roll early in his career. He had two Rolling Stone five-star albums with his first two albums. Um, and uh, And then, you know, he... He released a live album and he rushed a third album out. And then his fourth album was Squeezing Out Sparks. So, um, you know, you have uh, and Wind, Heat Treatment as the five-star albums. And then Rolling Stone also uh, and the general consensus is that uh, Squeezing Out Sparks is five stars. But to me, Squeezing Out Sparks is is just uh, a better produced, better sounding rock record.
0: No eagles on the list, Mike. Are you like the big Lebowski and eagles? Oh, I theater? hate the eagles, man. We
1: have a thing with my wife where every time like we have serious radio and the friggin eagles, no matter what station you're on, like the eagles are are threat to come up. And uh, it's just every single time. Sometimes they're on like four
0: different channels that we listen to. So is, is your wife also suitably anti eagles?
1: No, no. She likes
0: the eagles. Oh, no. And you guys and uh, yet you're celebrating a big anniversary. Uh, happy anniversary and congratulations on surviving your differences over the eagles
1: Yes, we have survived our differences over the eagles for sure i mean she's not she's not a huge eagles fan she just she just you know um uh, she likes them
0: yeah um there's no Fleetwood Mac on your list either. I thought you were a Fleetwood Mac guy.
1: I am a Fleetwood Mac fan um, nope, no rumors. You know, remember, this is top, I did top 52, it was top sure. 50, and then I realized I didn't have Stevie Wonder and Marvin Gaye on the list, which was like, uh, outrageously awful. So I uh, amended it. And this is not necessarily the best albums. These are the essential albums. These are albums that I think everybody should should own or listen to or experience, Um with, with the exceptions that maybe you cited where, you know, the couple vanity ones with Graham Parker and and Matthew sweet. So, you know, I don't know if maybe, maybe Fleetwood Mac is essential. I really like Fleetwood Mac a lot. Like I, I I saw them live. I saw Lindsey Buckingham live at town hall. He had like seven guitarists on stage. It was insane. Um, It was like a rock concert shrunk down into a Broadway theater and he was great. I think Lindsey Buckingham's probably the most underrated guitarist in rock history. So uh, I, I like the band a lot, but I, I, you know, it's just it's just a tough list to make uh, uh, because you have to include, you know, Chuck Berry, Buddy Holly. Uh, you know, you have to check off a lot of boxes.
0: Very true. So you don't have any Eagles on your list, but you do uh, have a favorable viewpoint of a couple of Eagles running backs. How's that for a segue, Mike? Yes, Um, I like
1: the running backs. (laughs) All right, so let's talk. And I like the Eagles. By the way, the Eagles, the NFL Eagles, are both Scott and I's pick to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl.
0: That wouldn't be a surprise. We just, I think they're going to win the NFC East so easily that they're probably going to play a home game in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. So, um you know, I think you're both crazy thinking the Vikings have a viable chance to win the NFC North, but... um
1: Well, look, you're just an inveterate uh Cousins hater, so
0: <laughs> there's, there's no saving you, Pat. And I'm a Packers fan. Um, yeah. But so, you and I, like, everyone hates Miles Sanders except us, apparently. Yeah. Like, uh, the thing is, why...
1: Uh, uh, even if you hate Miles Sanders, at some point, and I always... This is my mantra. It's the player... It's the price, not the player. The people who are the player and not the price—I don't get those people.
0: And he's going to get enough touches every week to be at least a viable flex play. And you—you you can get him. I took him at ten oh one in a draft the other day, and like that's this where he a, goes now. An
1: analyst draft
0: ten oh one,
1: and I—I I got him in the ninth round in the in the thing that I do with Ronus and all and Angle and all those guys. That that league, which is you know, semi-significant money. Yeah, and Adam Ronis, Scott Angle, uh, heavy
0: a bunch of Howard Bender.
1: I mean, I'm uh, Jen's in the league. Like, um, there's too many people that I'm gonna forget if I try to name them all. But it's two leagues actually too. So it's like a uh, there's a, and there's one overall champion and there's a champion of each league.
0: All right, now let's we so we both like Miles Sanders running behind the best offensive line in the league, and I think he's. going to Yeah, gonna I just the, think, and
1: plus, I I love, I love the Sanders price. Now, if you told me Sanders was a fifth round price, then sure, maybe I don't love sure. Miles
0: Sanders. But now here's ninth the, round. Here's the yeah. funny thing, Mike. Like some people don't like him because they think that Kenny Gainwell is a threat and that maybe Gainwell leads this backfield and touches. I, I think you and I both agree on some other aspect of this backfield that maybe wide
1: receiver Kenny Gainwell. Like yeah. seriously, that's how the dude is built. So, when he gets the ball, it doesn't look right. Like they they showed a goal line carry of his, and it just looks wrong, man. It's like why is this dude running into the line? He should be like running a sweep or something or, or a a reverse.
0: He's so skinny, man, and he's he's basically the third stringer, right? Well, I, mean, I said this would...
1: thing too with um. This was the stat that I cited with uh um, uh, who's the. The James Cook, right? Where uh, Cook's BMI, just like Gainwell's, is below twenty-seven. There's o- there have only been five running backs this century with a hundred plus carries with a BMI of twenty-seven or less. And and so to project those guys for more than a hundred carries, you're just saying,
0: I think this guy is historic, right? And Are I you- just can never make that bet. You and I also think Boston Scott is probably going to have more touches than Gainwell, right? Oh, yeah, that's the thing. That's the reason why you take Sanders, too, is
1: because the handcuff is Scott, and he's the third running back that gets drafted. You could pretty much, like, name your price on Scott. And I have Scott in all the leagues where I have Sanders, and I paid, like, nothing for, and these are leagues with super deep benches, both the fishbowl and um, this league that I do with uh, this this Ronis, uh would uh, league, uh, where both times I got Scott four rounds, I think after Gainwell went, which makes like no sense to me. So, but I'll take it.
0: Yeah. I think Gainwell is one of the false beacons, uh, among the sleeper running backs. And the other one is in Kansas city. Like what, what do you see fantasy doctor? (laughs) yes dr ferdy pacheco what are fantasy managers getting wrong about this backfield in your opinion oh man it's just like
1: look i I hate to be like a soulless spreadsheet nerd right but seventh a seventh round pick is just not going to um that guy has scored more than uh that guy had I think there's only one guy in history who has more than 100 carries as a 7th round rookie. And like when they kept Ronald And then Jones- people say, "Well, how about the undrafted guys?" It's like, "Okay, but you know that there's an infinite number of undrafted guys, so like what percentage are we talking about?" When they kept Ronald Jones on the roster, I mean, that's the signal that just
0: cut Pacheco.
1: He's not going to play. Yeah, we said if you have Jones on the roster, what that means is that Jones gets a carry before Pacheco does.
0: Otherwise, why is Jones even on the team? Right. And you've got the sneaky guy to have here, and you can usually get him in the last run of a draft. Is McKinnon? He's, He's going to be moving the moving up though. Guy. I,
1: I lost him. He went in like the fourteenth round. He was like, I was like waiting to take him, and I took McKissick over him. And maybe I still would, but it was with the expectation that okay, I'll take McKissick, and then I'll just get McKinnon. And then McKinnon was gone by the next time I had a uh, so. So his price, I think, is is moving up. I think sharp people now realize that he has in full PPR a uh, floor of like 10 points in games where he's healthy. Now, now, that may be like
0: three games, but what if it's like 10? Yeah, very true. Now, we were talking about the Green Bay backfield the other day. I know you have a fairly strong preference here.
1: Uh, I don't – I mean, I, I, I guess you my preference is – um, the way and there's so much push Scott disagrees with me vehemently on this and you're obviously a Packer person. So I'm interested to hear what you think, but my feeling is here's, here's the way here's the way to get inside your head and to realize what you think. And that should indicate what you should do with this situation. Um, Aaron Jones is the first guy you have to make a decision on in your, in your, in your drafts. If there is a chance That if you don't, if someone else took Jones, that you would take Dylan at ADP, you have to be out on Jones. Because in all of NFL history, I could think of one time without an injury where two guys finished in the basically in the top 50 overall uh, on the same team as running backs and in recent history. And that would be uh, Ingram and Kamara. If you think that that's going to be the situation in Green Bay, then, yeah, then you could take Jones, I guess, at ADP. But I never bet on history, you know, unless I'm being paid to make a that bet on history. You know what I mean? Like, in other words, when it's like free, then then I'll then I'll maybe look at the upside of the player and like maybe like a 10th percent, uh, 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 90th percentile outcome. Right. Or, or a 10 percent chance from our perspective but you're paying too much to gamble that this backfield is going to be historic.
0: Yeah. And I, I do think this backfield has the potential to be a goldmine for fantasy points. Um, like both guys are good. There's not a lot at wide receiver, so it makes sense for them to run the offense through the running backs. And they can, I think have the luxury of going very ball control this year since their defense is looking so good. But, um, Here's the thing. Why do we draft
1: Pat? Why do we draft receivers, uh, running backs in the second round?
0: Because they're going to get a lot of volume.
1: Well, no. Well, well, uh, I would put it, uh, that's true. But I would say more simply because we think that they're going to be first round running backs. Oh, we think they're going to be top five running backs. Right. right. We think they could be even the top running back. Otherwise, why are we drafting that guy in the second round? The mo- the least valuable thing in fantasy football is to draft the RB11 and have him be RB11. That will win you exactly 0% of your leagues. Like it's it's just virtually meaningless. You could stream the equivalent of like the RB11 in fantasy football, right? So you need you need a ceiling on these guys that's really enticing. And I just think that Dylan cuts into Jones's um point potential so significantly that you just can't take him in the second round because his
0: ceiling is so capped. So I I do agree with you on that Mike and I will say that I think that Jones has um considerable receiving upside and and could be a top 5 running back as far as receptions and receiving yardage like he's always averaged a lot of targets in games that Devontae Adams has missed in the past and, and Adams no longer being there bodes while well firm in the passing game. But to your point, and he had 170 carries in 15 games. Right, and and in the last eight games he and Dylan played together, Jones averaged just 10.2 carries a game. So like the, the case, and, is- and he's
1: got to be Kamara. And
0: and like I was just gonna say that does Rodgers
1: that. want that? Is yep. that is that a way? Like if I'm a Packers fan, the last thing I want is for Jones to be a Kamara. Like you want you want Aaron Rodgers to take the bull by the horns like Peyton Manning did in years where he had a sub sub wide receiver talent, at least objectively measured, and just raise the level of performance of those wide receivers with this quarterback play. That's the reason why you draft a franchise quarterback. You don't draft a franchise quarterback or own a franchise quarterback and give them Rodgers money so so that, oh, the receivers aren't there, so we're just going to dump
0: it off to the running back. You could get some jabroni off the street to do that. That's exactly it. There's there's not a case to be made, I don't think, for Jones to be that Camaro guy just because Rogers is such a different quarterback than Drew Brees was. So I totally agree with that. Like if if that's the and that's why I don't really agree with um, Scott. Like who you know his opinion I respect immensely, but Scott said he would take Aaron Jones pretty much anywhere in the second round. I'm only interested in Aaron Jones if I can get him in the third round and you usually can't, which means I'm usually just laying back and getting Dylan like in enough. And three. I'm rarely,
1: I ho- wrote a whole article about how the, the model says that dra- second and third round running backs are just so, such, so minus EV compared to wide receivers. So I tend not to, to ever do that. Um, I, I, I don't want to say that I never do, but um, y- you know, 99 times out of a hundred, I won't do that. But if I were to draft a running back in the second round, be- it would be a guy that I think could actually be a top five running back and is likely to be a top five running back or at least has like a 40% chance. That would be Leonard Fournette.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I can't go there with you. That's another story, but like, we, about- like,
1: he's the Kirk cousins of running
0: backs, man. It was he's- like, you know, Oh, Leonard Fournette is the before photo
1: in, in, uh, you know, uh, in the, in the, in the fat ad. Um, Leonard Fournette, you know, last year, Leonard Fournette – Playoff hero,
0: ha ha ha! It's like, yeah, well, that matters being a playoff hero when you win the Super Bowl. Sure, I get it. The only like the, the case I make against Fournette is they didn't have anyone else to turn to for pass catching out of the backfield last year because Gio Bernard was hurt, Ronald Jones is terrible at it, Keyshawn Vaughn wasn't ready for primetime, so now they've got. But Brady
1: doesn't throw to Fournette on third down.
0: Brady throws to Fournette Every on down. first and second down Every because down. he doesn't want to get sacked. Right, but they don't have to play Fournette three downs ever, anymore because they've got Gio bernard healthy and they've got rashad white who's actually good at those things but fournette was good at those things though too though yeah he i don't know was he 4.9 yards per target like he wasn't a very good pass catcher he, he caught a lot of passes but he wasn't making big plays with them like what right but a guy lot guy of him. those
1: were just bailouts where brady just didn't want to take the sack
0: yeah that's true and and like it's still going to be that way especially with their line in such bad shape um So, Mike, we've got, like, a minute or two left. Let me get your quick take on one guy I've been meaning to ask you about, DK Metcalf. We both think he's being grossly underdrafted, like wide receiver 27, 28 these days.
1: The scariest thing in every draft is when somebody, not you, drafts DK Metcalf in the fifth round.
0: It's like, what are we doing here, people? (laughs) Like, why is this happening? Yeah, I mean, don't you, you think he's one of these guys who, and you have been in the past, like, Team good QB, where you only want to got draft guys connected to a good QB. But give me the butt here.
1: I would say two percent of receivers in NFL history at, at most are completely QB independent. Doesn't matter who the QB is. Terrell Owens is is basically the the um, paragon of that type of receiver. Doesn't matter who Terrell Owens' quarterback was, he was going to ball out and put up numbers. 'Cause he's just so great. Um, and I think that there I don't think there's a two percent chance that Metcalf is that kind of receiver. I think it's like maybe a fifty-five percent chance that he's that kind of receiver. And so I'm not going to let that go in the fifth round. Plus, Geno Smith is like, I mean, he's not it's not Drew Drew Locke, right? We wanted Geno Smith and we got it.
0: Yeah, and like in the they played three and a half games together uh Gino Smith and DK Metcalf last year three and a half games together four touchdown passes uh from Gino Smith to DK Metcalf
1: I want to quote Scott he said I think we were going to get into uh a situation where you know we're like seven weeks into the season and we're just like why did we all
0: let DK
1: Metcalf go so late
0: ladies and gentlemen that's Michael Salfino you can find his work at The Athletic Go check out his rankings at sharpener.me buy a lot of tops baseball cards. So you can savor his back of the card musings and find him on Twitter at Michael Salfino, Mike, thanks for coming back on the show. Happy football season, my friend. Oh, my pleasure, man. Every uh, same to you and to everybody listening. And that's it for the show. My thanks once again to this week's guest, Michael Salfino of the athletic find him on Twitter at Michael Salfino Fits on Fantasy is produced by Calm Kelly, the finest producer of fantasy football podcasts in all of Ireland. Find him on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. The music is provided by International Jet Set. And a special thanks to Omaha Steaks for sponsoring the show. Make your grill and your taste buds happy. Go to omahasteaks.com. Type the keyword Pat Fits into the search bar and fill your freezer with delicious food from Omaha Steaks. And as always, my thanks to all of you for stopping by and catching the show. If you're happy with it, do me a solid by rating and reviewing it. You can provide the water and sunlight to help this little sapling of a show turn into a mighty oak well I'd settle for being a nice medium-sized birch tree please come back next week we'll have actual NFL games to discuss and as usual I'll be joined by another outstanding guest until then so long everyone what are the answers me because all is I've got a headache
1: how can